Hello, everyone. My name is Patrick Cummings. I'm a, a member of this church, and I am your substitute teacher for this morning. Uh, we will be in Psalm 11. So if you could turn there, open it up. It's a psalm that really touches on a lot of things that I think a lot of people need to hear nowadays. It talks about taking refuge in God, and it talks about trials. And I don't think there's a single person in this room regardless of what the trial is, who is going through life right now without any trials, right? So I want to read through the passage, we'll pray, and then we'll get into it. I'm going to take verses 1 through 3, and then we're going to take verses 4 through 7. We're just going to break them down, pull out some main points, and we're just going to enjoy the Word of God together this morning, all right? All right. Psalm 11. To the choir master of David, in the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They have fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of men. But his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Let him rain coals on the wicked. Fire and sulfur and scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we enter in to experiencing your word this morning, Lord, I pray that we come with hearts that are open to bring our trials, to bring our, our hardships all the burdens of life, Lord, and we look right in verse 1, it says, David, in the Lord I take refuge. Lord, I pray that we come with hearts willing to take refuge in you this morning. So I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to take verses 1 through 3. Verses 1 through 3 are kind of a recollection of sorts. This is poetry, so there's a lot of inference here, but there are a few things we know and there are a few things we don't know. The things we know is that David is under fire. Somebody's trying to kill David, it's Saul. Historically, we understand Saul is trying to kill David in this passage. And we recognize that David has someone coming to him, telling him to flee. Whether this is a friend in Saul's court, maybe it's, maybe it's just a poetic you know, recollection that David's having some experience or thought that he's dealing with, but regardless, regardless there's a voice that is speaking to David, telling him, you gotta get out of here, man. This isn't okay. And so when we deal with this, we're going to see David in the midst of trial. Verse 1. In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain? In the Lord I take refuge. This is the whole answer to everything that we're going to see in this passage. David makes a statement and then talks about why he disagrees with running away. David makes a statement. The statement is, in the Lord I take refuge forever and always. My comfort, my refuge is God. So when things start to come, when hardship starts to hit, nothing can shake me. Nothing can shake David because his refuge is in God. So when the advisor, the friend, the person speaking to him says, flee like a bird to your mountain, listen, Saul's coming to get you. you got to run away. David, founded in the truth, says, listen, this is where God's called me to be. I know I'm anointed to be the next king of Israel. I know that I'm called to be a leader in Israel. I can't run away. I can't run away from this circumstance. And when he is fr confronted with this, this advice to flee, to run, to watch out for his life, 
he says this about, how can he say to my soul? And I love that because that just shows just how much David really doesn't like being told to run away in the face of adversity. He really doesn't like it. Just to put it into perspective in like modern terms, like if my wife comes up to me and says, Pat, will you take out the trash? And I go, how do you say to my soul, take out the trash? <laughs> we, we don't talk like this anymore. But to the very depths of his being, David is frustrated with the notion that he would run away. And the, the friend, the person giving this advice to David, makes two sort of arguments, both based in fear, saying, David, you got to get out of here. Flee like a bird to your mountain. For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They're pulling out a weapon against you, David. They're ready to strike you. In modern day, we wouldn't use a bow. It'd probably be a gun. They got the gun pointed at you, David. There is a weapon pointed right at you. They fitted their arrow to the string. It's cocked and ready to fire, to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. To shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. This isn't a sneak attack. This isn't blind firing. This is literally like they're ready to get you at any time, including at night, when you're not prepared to defend yourself. And then they make a second case. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? David's friend comes up to him and says, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? And that brings me to my first couple points. The first point is this. When faced with trials, the righteous do not run away. When faced with trials, we confront the trials head on because God is our refuge. And I don't mean it, I wasn't super clear in the first service, but I'll be clear here. I don't mean like, like, oh, Mary and Joseph ran away, like I was wrong. No, I'm talking like Jonah. When we see a call on our life, when we see that God has commanded us to do an activity and stand firm, and we say, I'm going to Tarshish, I'm out of here. God has called us to take refuge in him when things get hard. And similar to this narrative, when I was reading through it, it kind of follows a similar structure. You don't have to turn there, but in Daniel 3, we have the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? We know that these three men are in a similar, uh, similar trial where a king is after them, trying to kill them, and they're confronted with an option to bow down before an idol, to simply just bow down to it, or to be thrown in a fiery furnace be thrown in fire first, to, to literally have their lives destroyed. But in that moment, they have taken refuge in God. Because when the hardship comes, and when people are brought to that moment, and they rely on God, they can overcome it. So in Daniel 3, Nebuchadnezzar's like, yo, I'm going to toss you in that fire if you don't bow down to my idol. If you don't worship what I want you to worship. And they say, we worship Yahweh, God of the Bible, that's it. And they open the fiery furnace, and the guy opens it, gets torched because it's so hot, and he's like, you're going in there. And this is what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say in the face of this trial. Daniel 3, verse 16 and 17. And they answered to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us. Our God is able to deliver us from the fiery burning furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. In the face of trial, they recognize two things. If they die, so be it. They will be delivered from the king and in eternal glory with God. But they also have the faith to say, in any circumstance, when I stand up for righteousness, my God can pull it through. And we know that story. And we know what happens. And we know that they're met by a holy entity in the fire and pulled out. And, and that there's a huge revival in the nation because of them standing firm in the face of trial. 
They stood firm in the face of trial. Spurgeon said this in verse 3, and I couldn't get this quote out of my head. He says this, It was equally correct that the very foundations of law and justice were destroyed under Saul's unrighteous government. But what were all these things to the man whose trust was in God alone? That's verse 3 of 11, back in Psalm 11, just in case you switched. What are these things to a man whose trust is in God alone? Was more faced with persecution, trials, hardships, tests, when things are coming at us, what does it mean? The, the person who asks David this question says, what can the righteous do? But the correct answer to that question is simply to look at him and say, what can't the righteous do? What can't the righteous do? When God has called his righteous to stand up for what he has called them to do, they can accomplish anything. So in the face of trials and hardship, find refuge in God. And my second point, I know this is going to sound cheesy like, oh, you know, Christian workbook point, but we want this point. We need to make sure we do this. What do we take refuge in? Because we're going to start seeing in verses 4 through 7 the nature of God in relationship to trial. But before that, we need to know what we're actually taking refuge in, right? There's so much in our lives that we go to before we go to God when we need comfort, when we're met with hardship. When I was just doing a quick list, there's a few of them, but the first one I thought of immediately was media, entertainment. How quickly it is that we get home from work or we have a hard experience or like, I'm just going to veg out. Maybe it's a substance. Maybe there's something in there that you rely on physically. Maybe it's a person. Maybe you need the comfort of a friend or a spouse. When in the face of adversity, you don't go to the Lord for refuge, but you go to a friend. Maybe it's your job. Maybe things aren't good at home or something. I don't know. And you bury yourself in work because that's your outlet. Maybe it's an activity. Maybe you're just, you know, maybe you've got to get those gains, you know. Maybe you've got to be working out. Maybe it's just, I need this. I need this release. Whatever it is, you like that. Whatever it is, whatever it is that you go to in the times of trouble, and these aren't bad things. They just need to be second to Christ. They need to be second to God, because in hardship, if we don't find our refuge immediately in God, then these hard idols, these things that take priority in our lives, will not fulfill us, and we will not have comfort when the trials come. We won't have any comfort. It's just the truth. There will always be a circumstance of unrest underneath, spiritual unrest. Refuge is in God. And so David, in response to this advice from a friend in verse 4, David doesn't answer. It doesn't go anywhere. He's already made the claim, I take refuge in God. But now he just starts talking about God. And this is awesome. Verse 4 is like where I get pumped up when we get to this passage. I just get amped reading about this because David gets this question, what can the righteous do? And he just starts talking about God. Things are hard. Let's just talk about God. All right? First thing he says, the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of men. The qualities of God. God is in his holy temple. That means God is still on this earth. When we historically look at what temples are, they're the dwelling place of God on earth. From the Garden of Eden to the Ark of the Covenant to the Israeli temples, we see in Ephesians 2 that God is building up the church to become a temple on earth. We see in 2 Corinthians 6 that our bodies are a temple to the Holy Spirit. We can go all over the place and find examples of that. But the point is, God has not left this earth. He is still here. He is in his holy temple. 
but he's also on his throne in heaven. So not only is he still here on earth, not only is he here with us, but he's also on the throne in heaven. That means God has not sacrificed any of his power. He is full in deity, holding every molecule, every instance and circumstance together. Everything that's going on is within the will of God. Our God's throne is in heaven. Psalm 103.19 says this, The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. So he's established the presence of God on earth. He has established the power and kingdom and righteousness of God and his glory. But he also says this, and this is one of my favorite little parts, and it's a part that when I was first reading really stuck out to me. He says this, he says, his eyes see. God's eyes see. In my notes, I got to say it because this is how I write notes to myself. You guys get to hear it. I just yell at myself on paper. God sees you. Rejoice, believer. God has not lost sight of you. The perfect shepherd has not lost sight of even one of his flock. God sees you. Sometimes we feel like God is so far away. How often do you talk to somebody and say, I believe in God, but they're, I don't know, they're maybe here. No, our God sees us. He's intimate. He knows everything. He has not left us. He's on this earth, he is powerful on his throne, and he knows us, he sees us. And he sees us when we go through trials, which leads us right into verse five. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. The Lord tests the righteous. When Taylor and I were looking for churches a few years ago before we landed at Ridgeline, we were bouncing around from church to church, and we gave every church two to three Sundays just to see what they were about. And we were at this one, and we kind of liked it. It was cool, and they had good worship, and it was trendy, but it didn't work out, and this is the story why. <laughs> we're sitting in service, and they have a mission team come back, a mission team that had gone to the Middle East and, and shared the Word of God and, and, and all those things that come with that. But one of the girls came up and started speaking, and she said this. She said, you know, it was hard to go to a place where there was so much suffering and so much hurting, but I can take rest knowing that God would never hurt anyone and that nothing on the earth that is bad comes from God. It's sin. And my jaw, like, hit the floor. I was like, what? What did she just say? I was like, we're not coming back here, hon. My wife can attest. I was like, no, no, I'm out. Listen, in times of trouble, when there are tests Right? This word here in verse 5, the Lord tests the righteous. It can also be translated to tries. Tries the righteous. When we have hard times, they come from God. They come from God, and we can find purpose in that. Because if we don't find purpose in that, then things become meaningless. And you would say, I don't like that. I don't like that God puts me through hard times. And, and I'm going to be the first to tell you, like, I get it. Life is really hard. Our country is suffering in ways that we could not have imagined. People, I don't know how many of you know each other very well, but I look around and I can see multitudes of people who I know who have had a lot of trials in the last six months. And I don't know all of them, but I can assure you that God knows every single trial you're going through so that when it hurts, that when we are broken, so that when everything is falling apart in our lives, we can take refuge in God so that the purpose has meaning to bear witness to Christ in our lives, 
to find comfort in God and to knock away the things in our life that we find rest in so that we can fully find peace in God. Trials hurt. They're there. But God has a purpose for them. And to put kind of opposition between that, God tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked. I just want to put that into perspective. God's putting his people through hardship. There's hard times. But he hates the wicked. See, there's a difference. God loves the righteous. He tests them, sure. But he absolutely abhors those who oppose him. God hates those who live in wickedness and live in their sin. And so as we start to kind of move towards judgment and this, vi this vision of judgment in verse 6, let him rain coals on the wicked, fire and sulfur and scorching wind shall be the portion of the cup. We have to keep that in mind, that there is an eternal judgment, that there is eternal pain and suffering, as opposed to just our temporal, our earthly suffering. When put into perspective of everything that's going on, our suffering will not last forever. And verse 6 says, let them rain coals on the wicked, fire and sulfur and scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. Let them rain coals on the wicked. It sounds really, really aggressive. You're like, Pat, why do you pick this passage? This is really, this is really fiery. And it is. But I want to find the hope in this verse. Because listen, we know Romans 3.23, we know for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we know Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. Those who are wicked will face death and judgment in God. But the eternal life in Christ Jesus, or the, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the second half of Romans 6.23. We know that there is hope in the face of our wickedness. We know that we can, through repentance, come to Jesus Christ and understand and be remade. And so I want you guys to turn with me, if you would, please, as I find it in my notes, to Matthew 26, 39. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Matthew 26, 39. I love to hear those pages turning. And it's not often that when we look at the Old and New Testament, we see such clear symbolism, but I want to talk about what this cup is. This cup represents God's judgment. The cup in verse 6 says, Let them rain coals and wicked, fire, sulfur, and scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. But in Matthew 26, 39, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane praying before facing what he will face on the cross. And he's going further, right? It says in verse 39, and he's going a little further. He fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but you, as you will. Jesus is going to bear this cup. Jesus is going to bear this cup for his believer. To those who've put their faith in Christ, Jesus will bear the burden of judgment. We don't have to face the judgment of the wicked. As, as wicked as we are, as much sin as we have, we don't have to face it because God, God gave us Jesus and Jesus is going to redeem us. So you can go back to Psalm 11, but I just wanted that point made. Mark that in your Bibles. It's a good one. There is redemption eternally in Jesus. And that leads us to verse 7 where David just talks about how God is righteous and it's beautiful. 
He says, for the Lord is righteous. The Lord is righteous. Righteous is a good definition for God, but God is a better definition for righteousness. The very fact of the matter is God is simply perfection. God is perfect. He can't be with sin. He will not have sin. When we come near to him, we can see that he is perfect and righteous, and he upholds the righteous. It says he loves righteous deeds. He loves the things that are good. He loves when we're able to live in his will, forgiven, repentant, and act in that will to do good deeds. But finally, he says this, the upright shall behold his face. Listen, David says, Lord, I take refuge. Saul's trying to kill him. Saul's trying to kill David. It's a hard trial. We know he gets away. We know the end of the story, but David doesn't. Paul's trying to kill him, but David says, I take refuge in God. Well, why is that? It's because I know I'm going to see his face. This is an eternal battle. No matter how hard it is, how hard it gets, I'm going to see God's face. And I'm going to just read Revelation 22, 3 through 5. It says this, No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. They will see his face. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. I don't have too much more to say, but I'm going to keep pushing this, home, this point home. There's a lot going on in this world, and we are surely going to continue to face trials as we go forward. That's a guarantee in life. God tests the righteous. But as we go forward, when we look forward to beholding his face, and we find true safety, protection, and refuge in God, we don't have to worry about anything. Heavenly Father, as we come to a close, I just praise you. I praise you for this congregation being able to meet, meet in two services, Lord, to have that opportunity to be so free to meet. God, let us see you. Let us find you as our refuge in the times of trial and times of heartache. When it hurts too much, let us come to you. It's easy to say, but it's hard to practice. Give us hearts of obedience. Let us love you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.